Good morning. Uh, this morning, uh, my family and I are somewhere in South Alabama, and I'm either getting ready to speak or speaking uh, at a church, uh, sharing our story, sharing what's going on with Neighborhood Church uh, up here in New York City, and, um, and taking a little uh, time away with the family. And so uh, I wanted to take the opportunity, though, to, to share this message with you this morning, continue our series on Q&A with Christ. I'm glad that you're here. And, um, you know, my daughter, Sophie, uh, who most of you know, um, she's in her 20s now, but when she was a little girl, um, she was very straightforward. She's pretty, still pretty straightforward, um, but you never had to guess what she was thinking, right? And anytime we would, we would go out as a family, I had to keep my eye on her because she would just walk right up to people and say, who are you? Or, what's your name? And uh, sometimes she'd stick her tongue out and <laughs> if she didn't like <laughs> what you look like or something, I guess. We had to be very careful. Um, well, Scripture records uh, a situation where a young man comes up to Jesus and he had something on his mind and he walked right up to Christ and shared it. And so this morning, uh, as we continue our message series on Q&A with Christ, now, we take a look at this question that the young man brings to Jesus. And it's not just any question, but it's the most important question for life and for ever. And so I want to take a look at that this morning in uh, the Gospel of Matthew. We'll be reading from Matthew chapter 19, verses 16 through verse 22. And it says this, And behold, a man came up to him, saying, Teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? And he said to him, Why do you ask me about what is good? There is only one who is good. If you would enter life, keep the commandments. He said to him, well, Which ones? And Jesus said, You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, honor your father and mother, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Verse 20, the young man said to him, all these I have kept, what do I still lack? <clears throat> so Jesus said to him, if you would be perfect, go sell what you possess and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. And Jesus said to his disciples, Truly I say to you, only with difficulty will a rich person enter into the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the, enter the kingdom of God. When the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished, saying, Who then can be saved? But Jesus looked at them and said, With man this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. Let me pray for us. God, thank you for your word. Uh, Lord, thank you for this encounter with uh, this young man uh, that you've uh, recorded for us to not only read, but to learn from this morning. So Lord, we ask you to speak to us, speak to our hearts, change our thinking where it doesn't line up with yours and draw us closer to you. Holy Spirit, we give you a complete reign. In Jesus' name, amen. So this morning, the title of the message is, What About Forever? So a little bit of context here uh, in this passage. See, Jesus 
um, has just finished his, uh, his ministry in the region of uh, Galilee, which is the northern kingdom of Israel. And he had begun his ascent, um, descent through Judea to Jerusalem, where he would be welcomed as a king. Remember, they'll be waving palm branches and crying out Hosanna. And shortly after, he'll be tried and crucified, put to death, and then on the third day, rise from the grave. But he's been healing the sick here uh, just before this and teaching his disciples about what the kingdom of uh, God is and what it looks like and how to forgive one another. And Jesus has healed a boy possessed with a demon. He, he walked on the water. He uh, fed 5,000 people who were hungry with just a few loaves of bread and fish. And the beginning of this chapter particularly uh, tells us that large crowds are following him as some religious leaders attempt to trick him with questions about divorce and, and, he, and which he, of course, calls to their attention uh, their own arrogance and the hardness of their own hearts. Jesus confused a lot of the religious people who came to him, uh, either looking to trap him uh, or to have their own egos stroked. He never fell for that. And over and over again, Jesus uh, had to show the religious leaders that they were really missing the point. They wanted to debate uh, over the letter of the law, and Jesus actually held up the mirror of the law to show them that their hearts were not honest and were far from God. So we come to this passage, and this young man approaches Jesus with what I believe is not a trick, not a test, but an honest inquiry. You often hear this story described as a story of the rich young ruler because uh, between this, um, uh, this uh, account of it and also the one in Luke, we see that he was indeed wealthy. We see he was indeed a young man and he had some uh, power. He was a ruler, Luke chapter 18 tells us. And so he comes to Jesus with this particular question. What good deed must I do to have eternal life? That's a good one, right? Nothing like uh, introducing yourself and just kind of easing into the conversation. He just drops this bomb. But it's a question that goes through all of our hearts and minds at one point or another. And so that brings us to the first point here I want us to look at, and that is the question of eternity is in the heart of every person right verse 16 teacher what good deed must i do to have eternal life see we have to settle that question otherwise we'll spend our entire lives running from that question and it's worth the ask it's worth some attention i mean it's forever uh, i saw uh, pastor francis chan give a uh, illustration one time uh, about this idea of eternity and he had a he had a rope on the stage with him and um, he said that this rope uh, that he had in his hand the end of it um, ran off of the stage and you couldn't see it anymore and he said let's pretend that this rope represents eternity and it goes uh, off the stage and goes out these doors and goes uh, down the street and goes out uh, across the world and then out into the universe and continues on forever and ever. And that's 
uh, eternity. And on the very end of the rope, he had a little piece of red that he colored on the very tip of the rope. And he said, this is our time on this earth. In light of eternity. And we spend all of our energy, all of our focus, merely on this little part, and we ignore the rest of that rope. And it should not be. Eternity is real. And what is true about eternity is really what matters. And it's worth looking into. Because once we cross over, once we come out of that red part, the bell is rung. Whatever will be, will be. Interestingly enough, although most people have this question, right? We all have this question about eternity deep within us. A lot of us try to pack it away, right? To fill our lives with maybe enough noise, enough distractions in order not to deal with it. You know, one of my children, I will not give the name, uh, but had to learn a difficult lesson uh, when they were just a teenager and had started driving. I went out to um, check in one of their cars and I looked through the glove compartment and I found three or four tickets that were already overdue. They'd already missed the court date and uh, I was flabbergasted. I didn't know what was going on. So I went to uh, my child and, and asked them, what was going on and they said they were just trying to keep it a secret, just trying to hide it away and, and put it in the glove compartment and forgot about it. And I said, well, they're not going away. <laughs> your license is probably suspended now. You, you've missed your court date. You're probably being fined. It's not going to go away. You're gonna have to deal with it. You have to address it or it will address, it will address you. And that's true of eternity. It's not going away. Ecclesiastes chapter 3 verse 11 says that God has set eternity in the heart of man. That's every single one of us. That's that little voice. That's that whisper about eternity. What happens next? And he gave that to us. He put that within us, kind of like a pebble in the shoe. I like to describe it as, you know, you have this pebble in your shoe and you just can't, you can't, uh, you can't get rid of it until you stop and deal with it, but it, it constantly is reminding me that I'm uncomfortable. It's constantly reminding me that there's something in my shoe. And so eternity in the heart of man constantly reminds us. It's this question that keeps coming back to us, and God put that there so that we would answer, look for the answer for this question. Now, it's important to understand exactly what this young man is asking, right? When he says eternal life, what, what is his perspective? And obviously Jesus understands what he's talking about, but I think it's important for us to know exactly what he means when he says eternal life. This phrase, eternal life, this is the first time it's used in the book of Matthew, but it represents life after death with God. That's what he's talking about. It's obviously familiar. Um, this man is obviously familiar uh, with the Old Testament, the Hebrew Scriptures, and he's somewhat of a religious man, we, we can take from this passage. And so his question is, how do I know that I'm going to the good place, right? How do I know I'm going to be with God? How will I be in the kingdom of God and have rest? How do I make sure that I end up in the good place and not the bad place, right? 
separated from God, which he would have known about. Now, this because there's evidence of this in Scripture. There is something coming after we cross the, thres- the threshold into the afterlife. We are eternal beings. We were created that way. We were created to be eternal. So some, somewhere deep down inside all of us, we know that. So this young man would have known about Daniel chapter 12, verse 2, when it says that those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, and some to shame and everlasting contempt. There's something coming after the grave. Jesus also talked about this, this final destination in Matthew chapter 25. He described, Jesus described a time when every person from every nation will stand before the throne of God. And he will will either say, well done, enter into the kingdom of God. Or he will say, depart from me, I never knew you. And that's the bottom line of what he's asking Jesus. How do I make sure I'm on the right side of that interaction? When I stand before God, he's saying to Jesus, you claim to speak for God. Well, what about this? What what is real? What is true about life after death? Now, his religion, his Jewish religion, um, would have taught him that religion itself was going to carry him into eternity, right? But something within him told him there was more to it. I mean, he did come to Jesus asking this question. So obviously he was uncertain about it, right? He's saying, what am I missing? So as he asks this question, all of our ears should perk up because it's a big deal, right? It's on all of our hearts at one point or another. Here's what we really are all want to know, right? If we can settle in our hearts what happens when we die, well, that would make life a lot easier to take. It would make that little red part on the rope a little easier to navigate if we knew that there was joy and rest and God. So that's the first thing, this dirty little question in the corner of all our hearts. And so Jesus uh, comes with an answer but he does it in the beautiful Jesus way, right? He's leading this young man to the answer. See, Jesus always goes to the heart of the matter when we come to him. He comes to our hearts to show us where we are, to show us what our roadblocks are. Because unless we come with sincere, uh, honest hearts, we never will find the answers that we're looking for. You know, I love to quote C.S. Lewis, And he said, comfort is the one thing you cannot get by looking for it. If you look for truth, you may find comfort in the end. If you look for comfort, you will not get either comfort or truth. And what he's saying is, come honestly, right? Come honestly to Christ. And as he reveals to you uh, where your roadblocks are, where your uh, doubts are, be honest about those and lay them before them, before him. Bring them to him. He's not afraid of those. So um, he comes to Jesus. He asks this question. And then I want us to look at how Jesus answers him. He basically is telling this man, the answer for eternal life is not in you. It's not in what you can do. Right? He said, teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? Right? He he, he began this conversation typically, but incorrectly. 
He's obviously a religious man. He was proud of his resume. Maybe he wanted Jesus to just give him confirmation, right? Or maybe he was searching for real peace, like we talked about last week. So Jesus talks a little bit about this word good that he uses. You know, he comes to him, good teacher. And Jesus is making the point here that will set the stage for this lesson, for this truth that he's going to teach. He's defining the terms. He's, he's letting him know no one and no thing is good, right? Only God is good. God is the standard for good. And if we're going to talk about good and bad, that has to be the, the standard, especially in eternity. You know, we think of good uh, in very relative terms, in very subjective terms. And so Jesus was um, helping this man to understand, listen, there's one who is good. So let's, let's go ahead and settle uh, that first and foremost. In verse 17, you know, Jesus says, okay, you know what to do. Keep the commandments. So Jesus always meets us where we are, right? And so he meets this man where he is. He comes with this question, what must I do? And Jesus says, you know what to do. Keep the commandments. And he lists off a few of them there. And the man, believing that he's done, done well at this, says, oh, I, I've kept all those ever since I was young. See, this is what we've created in religion. We've created our effort to get to God. But see, what Christ did was bring God to us. This is the root of our God complex, right? Even the space that we've made in our hearts and minds for God, it's just like, just give me a list of things to do, right? If you'll just give me a list of things to do, I'll check it off. I'll start working on it. But that really has nothing to do with a relationship, right? If my wife and I just leave to-do lists for each other and that's it, that's not really any kind of relationship. And that actually just leads us to use one another, right? If God's love for us is based on our performance or even our ability to understand what He wants from me, some might think they got it, some might not even try. But it wouldn't be either way, it wouldn't be unconditional love, right? But that's the world we live in. I use you, you use me. We have this self-centered existence to get what we want, what makes us feel comfortable. God's not interested in that. And He doesn't force us into that relationship. Even though it leads to self-destruction, and we see it in the world around us, God will not force Himself on us in Romans Chapter 1, verse 28 says, And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. We see that all over. We see ourselves and our neighbors and humans all over the world doing what ought not to be done. And that's because we've made ourselves God. We've relied on our own good works, our own ability to reach God or to be God. So Jesus leads him into this place where he's really putting up a mirror for this young man, and we're going to see that as we move forward. Jesus says, you want to earn it? Well, you know the Scriptures. Obey the commandments, all of them. Jesus did not come to say, oh, all that stuff about the commandments, that doesn't matter, right? All that stuff from the prophets and Moses, that doesn't matter. No, that's not what he was saying, because it does 
That was God's picture of holiness. And holiness is the only way to have a relationship with a holy, righteous God. But you've got to be perfect. If we're going to try and earn it, then we have to be perfect because that's what holiness is. But hold on, I know what you're thinking, right? I thought we couldn't earn it. I, I thought it wasn't about works. And now we're talking about we have to keep the commandments perfectly. We're going to talk about that. See, what Jesus does is he says, okay, you want to you work for it? You want to do good deeds? Well, keep, keep the commandments. And the man says, which one? Which ones? That's so interesting, right? Which ones? It's an odd response. But it just shows the human heart. We're always looking for shortcuts, right? We're always looking for that, the shortest list possible to get something done. But it's not about God. It's not about a relationship with Him. It's about me. And so Jesus, Jesus humors him just a little bit here. And he names off a few, drawing him even deeper, right? He says, well, you, sh- you shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. Don't steal. Don't bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. Love your neighbor as yourself. And of course, like I said, the man responds, yeah, I've done all that. Really? First of all, immediately no. You've never lied. You've never taken anything that wasn't yours. You've always loved your neighbor just like you love yourself. You've been completely honorable and honoring to your parents. I think he's a little delusional. Because of his own pride or because of fear. But see, when Jesus started listing the commandments, it's interesting. He started with the second half of the Ten Commandments. Right? Five through ten which have to do with loving your neighbor. See, the Ten Commandments are divided into basically two sections. And this is what the Shema is summed up uh, with when it says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and might, and later, love your neighbor as yourself. And that's what Jesus said was the greatest commandment. Love the Lord your God, remember, with everything. And the second is like it. So Jesus draws him in with this second half. And that's where he sets the hook. He says, the young man said to him, all these things I've kept, what do I still lack? And Jesus said to him, if you would be perfect, go sell what you possess and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. And then the passage says the man turned away sorrowful. Why? Because he had a bunch. He had too much to give up. It wasn't because he was rich. It was because he was unwilling to surrender all. See what Jesus did? He showed this man that not only did he not keep the commandments like he said, but he couldn't even keep the very first one. Love God. Why not? Because he had another God on his heart. Another God on the throne of his heart, which was himself, his stuff, his possessions, his status, his religion, his reputation. Now, Jesus didn't tell everyone he called to follow him to sell all their possessions, right? But he saw this man's heart. He saw what was first and foremost to him. And he noticed, or he knew that this man just wanted to add Jesus to this collection of things, to his portfolio. But Jesus came for his heart. He came for yours and mine. 
That's why it can be so difficult for us to trust Christ, because it's not about just rearranging things to fit Jesus in it. It's about surrendering to Him. It's about receiving His grace. And so we see as Jesus draws him in to answer this question, He tells him, I I want everything. To have eternal life, to be in the kingdom of God, is to have a relationship with God through Christ. And that brings me to the last point. God gives eternal life. We receive it. In verse 25 and 26, he says, When the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished, saying, Who then can be saved? But Jesus looked at them and said, With man this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. See, the whole theme of this interaction with this man is it's not you. It's not in your power. It's not in your strength. It's in God's strength to restore this relationship. See, what God's designed you and I, and every man, woman, boy, and girl from the beginning of time for was a relationship with Him, a loving, beautiful walk with God. Not, not to go through life as orphans. But it's impossible in our strengths. Only God has the power to repair and to restore what has been broken. It's not something we can earn. You may say, well, wait a minute. You just said that uh, Jesus was showing that this man couldn't keep all the commands, right? So like the disciples, we say, well, who can be saved? If you have to be perfect, who can be saved? But see, none of us can be perfect. That's what the law shows us. That's what Jesus is showing us. And God knows that. He sees our brokenness. He sees that you haven't been perfect. He sees that I have not kept all the commandments. That's where Jesus comes in. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 and 5 and 8 and 9 says, But God, but God, starts with God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. See, the way in which this man, the way in which you and me and every other human can enter into eternal life, the kingdom of God, is by humbling ourselves like that child that Jesus talked about that we looked at last week. Coming with childlike faith and putting that faith in Christ, not in myself, not in my accomplishments, not in my religion, but in Jesus. We were talking last week a little bit about what it means to trust Christ and how it's a challenge every day uh, in everyday life. We were talking about that in our small group last Wednesday night. We discussed that the key to trusting Christ with every day and with every circumstance is first of all to trust His love for me. And His love for me was demonstrated on the cross. When I know His love for me, when I'm confident, put my faith in His love and provision for me, then I can trust Him today, tomorrow, the rest of my life. 
But see, that was more than this rich, young ruler could accept. And so he chose to continue with his pursuits. He chose to take a chance on eternity, to keep that question unanswered completely. I pray that you don't make that choice today. And Christian, Jesus' call is the same each day. Follow me. Daily calling. Eternity is coming soon, right? Actually, we're in eternity right now. We are taking each step in eternity. Will we be faithful to walk with Christ? To know that intimacy and the peace of trusting Him and learning from Him daily? That's the peace that the the world is struggling to find. We've claimed to have found it. Does our life demonstrate that? Or maybe you've never come through that door. Maybe you're thinking about it and you've never come to Christ through complete surrender. You came through the door of uh, maybe you were promised um, health and wealth, easy life. But today he's calling you again to surrender. We come through faith. What is Jesus saying to you today that you must sell and give away like he told this gentleman? What is he calling you to surrender that you might be able to follow him wholeheartedly? That's what it means to follow. That's what it means to trust. To enter into the process of allowing Christ to reform me, to change me, to make me new from the inside out. My priorities, my desires. So God has called and indeed is still calling. He's pursuing you to follow Him. To call Him Lord for the first time and trust Him alone to save you and give you eternal life. Or today some of us, He's calling to recalibrate our lives, to to surrender today fresh and anew. Trust Him. Look to Him for abundant, full, meaningful, and eternal life. The truth is, eternity begins right now. So don't turn away sorrowful because you just can't let go of the stuff of life. Can't let go and surrender yourself. Let me start that over. The truth is eternity begins right now. So don't turn away sorrowful because you just can't let go the pursuits of life. You just can't let go of trying to earn it, trying to figure it out for yourself. It's faith. Come to Jesus in faith. Give Him your heart, your all. Look to Him for today, for eternity, for life, for joy. He's calling to you. Come, follow me. Let's pray. God, thank you uh, that you love us. Thank you that you continue to to whisper our names and call us to yourself. Lord, this morning I pray that you just reveal to us whatever it is that we're holding on to, whatever it is that you're calling us to, to let go of and to follow you more closely. Lord, some of us are holding on to uh, just our ideas about 
what it means to to live life today and what it means to go beyond the grave. God, if we can't figure it out, if we can't um, if we can't assure ourselves or earn it, God, we we just will just choose to remain confused. I pray that today that would not be the case, but we would everyone who's struggling with eternity, Lord, they would come and see that Jesus came to give us eternal life, give us assurance and hope. And those of us, uh, Lord, that are walking with you and seeking to grow in our faith, help us today to daily die to self, daily die to grabbing a hold of uh, the things of this world that keep us from following you closely. I pray all this in Christ's name. Amen.